I said, I can't see those who are up in the gathering this morning, so I'm not sure they got this memo. But for those of you who are here in the blended service, I think you must have. Because the title of the message today is Only the Best. And I noted that some of you have made sure that you brought your best. Your grandkids. <laughs> They're here with us. They're visiting. I looked out, I saw the Barhams in the hall, I see the Gregory's here, the Odins, and there are several more. I probably missed a lot of individuals that you've got your grandkids here, uh, perhaps parents for you right now, the kids, they're the best you got, which is good. I saw one of our friends this week, uh, I saw him come in upstairs, he stopped me, showed me a beautiful picture of his daughter, and was just bragging on her this week. Hey, it's good to have something to brag on. I love to brag on my kids as well. Somebody uh, just the other day said, hey, isn't this the most beautiful child you've ever seen? And I said, well, it's the fifth most beautiful child I've ever seen. <laughs> they took offense to that. I have four, you know. Those four have to come first. Today we come, and I want to share with you a message about only the best. I want to talk to you about bringing the best that we have to the holy God above. I want us to talk today about how God has called us to bring the best of our lives and to present it to Him as we serve Him. Look in Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. A wonderful book. I mean, really calls the people of God back to a relationship. The, the prophet himself calls for renewal and revival. And he specifically confronts them on what they are bringing to him. Look in verse 6 as we pick up in this narrative as Malachi writes, as he records the words of God. He says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. Who is there even among you who would just shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, and that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. 
For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. This is a very challenging, very difficult word that Malachi brings to the people of Israel, especially to Israel's leadership, the priests, those who are responsible, those who are charged with overseeing all of the offerings and sacrifices. Malachi brings God's word of correction and conviction. I want to give you a a truth today, okay? This is going to be a little bit different. Because I want to give you one truth, and then what I want to do is just work through this and flesh it out for us this morning. And I pray that when we leave this place, God has really spoken to us and He's challenged us in the way we come before Him and really how we give ourselves to Him. Let me give you this truth this morning, okay? I want you to just let it sink in. You can write it down. But I want you to hear it clearly. We give our best to Him Because we find the best in Him. Now listen to it. We give our best to God because we find the best in God. Now I want to take that one statement and I want to work it out for us this morning. And again, hopefully we can see it as it is demonstrated in this word. And we can see it challenge our hearts. What's the issue here? As we look at the book of Malachi, as we look at this first chapter, what is the issue? Well, again, the people of God are bringing all kinds of offerings to God, all kinds of sacrifices, but basically what they're doing is they're bringing their undesirables. If you read through this chapter and you hear what I read even a moment ago, you'll see that they are bringing the blind and the lame. They're bringing the sick. They're going out into their herds. They're looking for the appropriate sacrifice. And when they find something that they really won't miss in their herd, something that is undesirable to them, they say, let's take this and take it to God. We'll sacrifice this blind sheep. We'll sacrifice this lame lamb. We'll do this. And they bring it to God to offer it to him. Now, God had specifically forbidden this. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 21. God had said that the sacrifice was to be unblemished. Basically, what he had said is that you are to bring the best that you have. They knew this. And yet, they had broken the oath that they had taken before God. They knew that they were supposed to be bringing the best to him. But they had broken the oath. If you notice in verse 14... Those who had taken a vow had broken that vow. God just simply said, it's not acceptable. What you are doing before God is not acceptable. As a matter of fact, you could try to offer it to your governor. And you know what? It wouldn't matter whether your governor was a Democrat or a Republican. He wouldn't accept this, right? I thought there was some bipartisan amens there somewhere along the way. (laughs) He wouldn't accept this. If you were to try to give them a gift like this. Okay, okay, let let me break it down because I see that some of you having trouble connecting this morning. So let me kind of break it down. I didn't have this, but I'm just going off script, okay? Guys, you and I 
we don't always choose the best gifts for our wives, do we? It's not always accepted when we get them the gift that we think is the most appropriate. Ever gotten a vacuum cleaner before? <laughs> Some of you say, no, I got enough sense. I mean, you come home at Christmas, hey, I've been thinking about you, and I, you know, I've got this, I mean, it is the top of the line vacuum cleaner that I got. It's the best that I could have gotten. I'm just going to tell you, my wife just walked out because she heard me thinking about it. You notice that? <laughs> God said, you bring one of those kinds of gifts to your governor and you see if he would accept such. He wouldn't. There's no doubt that he would not accept. And yet you are bringing it to the greatest being in all of the universe. You are bringing it to the king above all kings. You are bringing it to God himself. You're bringing these broken things. You're bringing those undesirables. You're bringing your leftovers to God. What was the real problem? Why would they do such a thing? Why would they give Leftovers. Why would they give the lame, the blind, the sick? Why would they do this? Because I believe they had forgotten God's love relationship with them. I believe that they had truly forgotten the love that the eternal God had had for them. And that, that's not just my thought. I think that's what the scripture bears out. Because if you were to read back like in verse 2... You will note that God said, hey, I have loved you. And yet, what had they said? It was kind of like this back and forth. If you read in the book of Malachi, it would be like God said this, and this is how the priest or the people responded. Verse 2, God had said, hey, I love you. And the people responded, the priest in particular, I think, said, in what way have you loved us? I mean, how ridiculous is this? That they are questioning God's love. God go on, goes on to say how he had loved Jacob. How he had been faithful to the people of Israel. How he had been there time and time again. He said, in comparison to my love for Esau, he says, it's almost like I hated Esau and loved you now. Some of you kind of struggle with that passage and you look at it. Listen, it is a comparative he's making here. That I love you so much, it would appear that I hate your brother. It's not that he hated. We understand God loves all. Understand that. But God had been so good to the people of Israel. As one commentator or one scholar said, the real key here, the real issue that I have in verse 2, is not that he hated Esau, but that he loved Jacob. Isn't that astounding? And that he had gone to such lengths within the people of Israel to demonstrate his love and his faithfulness? Because it comes back to relationship. What we give, listen, what we give to God in our lives comes back to how we view our relationship with him. And who we are. If we begin to doubt that relationship, if we begin to doubt that love, 
then we're always going to give him the leftovers. Because it comes back to the relationship. Dr. Douglas Bain teaches at Blue Mountain College. When I was going through his Old Testament study, Dr. Bain would remind us that the prophet was, quote, the spokesman for the covenant. And what he meant by that was that the prophet, whoever he was, what he would do is he would always go to the people of Israel and he would call out to them and he would call them back to the relationship, to the covenant, to, to that which God had demonstrated, that faithfulness. And what Malachi is doing here is going back and he is trying to call them back into relationship. God loves them and he loves them still, but he is calling them back to recommitment and rededication. They had grown cold toward God. I would suggest to you that the people of Israel had a heart problem. They had a heart problem. That they had gone cold in their relationship to Him. It's amazing about a heart problem. Some of you have had issues before with heart problems, things that went on in your life. Some of you have have been there in your own life. And you know, it's amazing how I can see certain people and they look so healthy. And then all of a sudden they go to a doctor or something like that and there's a diagnosis of a heart issue. A lot of times I, I wouldn't even have been able to tell. Wouldn't even been able to know. Sometimes we can walk around and we can look good to everybody else, like everything's going well for us in our lives, and we can be experiencing a heart issue. And one of the ways you can tell, well, oftentimes there are symptoms. We ignore, but there are symptoms, really. Here, there are symptoms in this, in this nation's life. They had gone cold. They were talking about they were talking about how God didn't love them as much. Hey, when they came to worship, if you look in verse 13, it, they would say, oh, what weariness this is. How burdensome this is. They would talk about that the table was defiled. The table was the symbol of fellowship. They'd gone, grown cold in their relationship with God. G.K. Chesterton said that the absence of praise reveals that our religion, well, that it's more of a theory than it is a love affair. Think about it just a moment. When we do not see the praise and the worship in our hearts and lives as it should be, our religion has become nothing more than a theory for us instead of a love affair, instead of the relational Dynamic that it should have in our hearts and lives. And look how sad this is in so many ways that in verse 10, God says, Hey, what, why doesn't someone just close the doors? What, why doesn't somebody just shut the door of the temple? How sad is this? How tragic is it to think that God would get to the point to say, Shut the doors. If People are going to come to me in such a half-hearted way. If they're going to come to give their leftovers to me, I don't want any of it. Shut 
the doors. But you got to love the way he frames this of how we should come to him in repentance and confession. I, I love the tender nature in which he frames it. I know this sounds so difficult and the words sound so stinging. But in verse 9, you see just a moment of tenderness. If the relationship has grown cold, if it has gotten to the point that you're just giving God the leftovers of your life, what are you to do? Verse 9 says, Now entreat God's favor. That word entreat, I went and kind of did a little extra study on that word, especially when I could see some meanings coming out of it. And it literally means to like caress the face. Caress the face. It's kind of like the idea of, hey, if your heart has grown cold toward God, won't you just kind of, won't you kind of come back to him and look him in the face? Just grab on to his face and caress it. And remember the love that he's had for you and the love that you have had for him. I love it. I know when I was studying that and I got into it this week, I thought some of these folks are going to turn me off when I mention this this week about caressing the face, looking lovingly at somebody else. I was at a wedding last night. It is great to see that loving look, isn't it, of newlyweds? I, again, Leslie's gone, so I can just talk all I want to about her, you know. But I always, always say, Les, you need to develop that pastoral wife look. <laughs> and she said, what are you talking about? The first time or two, she asked me, what are you talking I said, you know, you know the one. You've seen it a hundred times. When we were growing up, we were seeing these pastors, and they would preach, or they would speak, and their wife would be there on the front and just look so loving. <laughs> just like, like she adored that man. She just hung on everywhere. I said, baby, you got to develop that. I mean, you got to, you know, being a pastor's wife, you got, I don't know, Miss Vivian, Johnny, I saw y'all. I don't know if you ever did, but maybe you can tutor Leslie one of these days, you know? I was like, Leslie, you got to do it. She's like, whatever. <laughs> but hey, just, just a moment. Just think about this. Just think, just think how awesome this is. That you can look at God and you can caress his face in so many ways. And that you can see him as the greatest lover of your life. That you have such a relationship with him. And listen, even after you fall short, even after you've given him the leftovers of who you are, after you've given him the leftovers of your time, he still loves you and you can still come to him and you can embrace him in such a way. I say to you that in the midst of this difficult, challenging message, somehow right there in verse 9 is nestled the tenderness of God. That you can entreat God's favor. It's a present tense verb. In other words, it's an ongoing, like just relationship. That you can seek Him and seek the blessing of of that relationship. I do believe it grows out of that priestly benediction in number 6, 24 and 25 that you have heard in so many different 
individuals or denominations. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. It's the same idea that the Lord's face would shine, that you would have this intimate relationship with Him. May I say to you, that calls for our recommitment, surrender, or may we use the term that we've used for many, many years in our churches. We don't hear about it, and I'll be honest, I'm not sure we see it as much as we did in times past. But it's called rededication. Where we just need to stop in our hearts and lives and recommit ourselves. Not getting saved again. We know we're saved. We knew we had the relationship. God never walked away from us. We perhaps walked away from Him. But it's coming back to Him and saying, God, I know where I left you. You were in the same place. You were right there. But I'm coming back and I'm resurrendering my heart and life to you. That's what Malachi wanted the people of Israel to do. Is to come back and rededicate themselves. And give Him our best. Give Him the best that they had. God requires our best. He always has. Genesis chapter 4. Remember the story of Abel and Cain? And the Bible teaches us that each one brings their offerings to God. Of course, God shows favor upon Abel. On Cain, he doesn't. I've struggled with that because when I look at it, I thought, well, is it just what they brought? I mean, of course, Abel brought from the herd because he was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. He brought his vegetables and crops. When I first started reading, I thought, is it just because God doesn't like farmers? I think God's all right with farmers. Remember, I came from North Mississippi. I pray he's all right with farmers. It's not because one was a shepherd and one was a farmer. It's what they brought. And I don't even think it was back to the idea of the blood sacrifice because that had not really been initiated yet. When I read Genesis 4, it talks about how Abel brought the firstlings of the flock, the firstborn of the flock. When I read it, what I hear screaming from those pages is Abel brought his best. He brought of the firstling. He brought out of faith. That's, that's really what always is indicated. When you bring out of the first parts of your life, maybe the first part of your income or the first part of whatever, when you give that to God, it is a statement of faith. That God, you have blessed me with this and this is yours. And I'm trusting you to provide everything else hereafter. I'm going to give you my best. May I just challenge us this morning to give to God our best. Our best. That means the best of our mind, our body, soul, and spirit, of everything that we have that we give our best. I, I remember when I was about to enter PhD work at New Orleans. I was talking with one of the other professors, and he asked me, he said, Reggie, he said, are you going to teach one day? And I said, what do you mean? He said, are you going to teach at the college or the seminary or so? And I, I said, you know, I, I don't think so. You know, God has given me a heart for the church, and I love the church. Not, not to say that professors don't, but I'm just telling you God's kind of put me in the church. 
And he said to me, well, why are you doing a Ph.D.? That really is only there if you need to teach and do all the things. If you're going to do that, you don't have to have a Ph.D. And I said, I know that. Listen, I'll be honest with you. You haven't got to have an MDiv. I know I just surprised some of you. You ain't got to have a bachelor. Let me tell you, my, I was not qualified by my degrees to be your pastor or preacher. I was called by God to be your pastor or preacher. That makes a difference. But I said to him, I said, the reason I need to do a PhD, I think God is wanting me to give my best of my mind to him. I think he's given me that opportunity. Not everybody has the opportunity because of different circumstances and different things. I believe he has. I just think i got to give him my best. He looked puzzled. Not sure he understood that. But thank God he passed me later on. (laughs) I haven't always given my best. There are times in my lives where I've given him the scraps. And that is the reason when I wrestled with this passage this week, it hit so close to home in my own life. And it challenged me, and I pray it challenges you, that we give our best in everything that we do. How about worship? I mean, that's really what it's addressing here. How about worship itself, that we give the best? When I closed last week's Sermon and really only had about five minutes to to address this idea of worshiping holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Everybody, everything, the totality of our beings to worship. Do we give ourselves to him even in worship? Mind, soul, body, strength. That we've prepared ourselves before we come in this place. Listen. Listen. Do you understand what a privilege it is to be the people of God and to meet with Him week to week as a people? To prepare ourselves? Now, yes, God's presence is outside these walls. You've heard me preach that. I know that God's presence lives within me, but how awesome is it to know that even during the summer we can have 900 spirits of God walking through, well, the one spirit of God walking in 900 different bodies through this place. To give ourselves to worship. Let me just ask. Are you giving your leftovers to God? God, if it works out this week, I'm going to make it to worship. God, if I have enough time at the end of the day, I'm going to pray. God, you know, if, if, if I can get all these bills paid then I'll make sure I do what I need to do financially. I'll give. I'm going to tell you, God is not interested in our half-hearted service. He wants our best. Because why? We find the best in Him. We give our best to Him because we find the best in Him. Worship from the Old English. Worthship. In other words, he is worthy. He is the best. We are to adore him for who he is. We are to praise him for what he has done. There's a part of it that's just gratitude, right? Gratitude. 
Now, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Let me just say this again. Beware of what some people call the debtor's ethic. What I mean by that is that we're thankful when we come to him, we serve him out of that gratitude, but it's almost like we feel like we're paying him back. We're making mortgage payments each month. Just say this. You and I could never pay him back for what he has done. It is useless. That is not the reason we serve him. That is not the reason we worship him. It is not to pay him back. It is simply because we are grateful for who he is and for what he has done. You may withhold yourself from God because you have an ungrateful heart, but when you fail to voice your thanksgiving and praise to God, you find or you will fail to give him what is rightfully due to him. God alone is worthy of our praise. In fact, Jesus noted that if you don't praise the Lord, the very stones will cry out and do so. He is the best. We find our best. We find the best in him. Notice here he speaks of his name, his identity. Some eight times between verse 6 and chapter 2, verse 9, some six times it speaks about the name of God and how we, the God's people bear his name. His name spoke to sovereignty, but it also spoke to the extension, the influence that he has over our lives, the extension of himself as we are his representatives. We are to glorify his name. Someone has said the Lord is not dependent upon human offerings or service. They're simply a means of testifying to his greatness and exalting his name. And he is pleased with sincere praise and worship. Worship is the vehicle of how we express his greatness. How we exalt his name. Worship is the vehicle. I, I loved the way C.S. Lewis, you know it's a good message when you put a C.S. Lewis quote, right? In there. So I love the way C.S. Lewis did this. As he spoke about worship and praise, this is what he said. He said, just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneous, spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? It isn't out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. Their delight is incomplete until it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep it silent because the people you are with care for it no more than they would a tin can in the ditch, he said. When we find something we value, when we recognize how great and wonderful God himself is, then we have to express it. We have to tell individuals. We have to share with them. We do it through worship. We acclaim to him the fame that is only due him. You'll notice here that even the leadership, they were profaning in an ongoing way, they were profaning his name. They were dishonoring. They were disgracing. 
primary function of the sacrificial system was as a testimony to the glory and the grace of God. But the priests of Judah were conducting so-called worship that not only obscured God's character, but misrepresented it. It was a false testimony full of lies and unrighteousness that profaned God's name. But listen to what God said here. God said, don't worry. Even though you have failed and you have brought the leftovers to me, don't worry. I'm still in charge here. And I will make my name great among the nations. Even when you fail, I want you to know that I am still committed to the fame of my name. Even when you have messed up and you are giving the leftovers, I will make my name great among the nations. Did you hear this? For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations. Later on he said, I am the great king, and my name is to be feared among the nations. He said, just know I am committed to my name and the glory among the nations themselves. About 400 years later, Jesus will tell his disciples that those will come from the east and the west and they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Friends, that's us. Because of God's love, of his glory and love of us, he has permitted us to come and to join into the family of Abraham. Abraham, that promise that he would be a blessing to all of the world has come through the one and only Jesus Christ. And God is still pursuing his glory through this world. Just as Moses wrote, or he spoke in Numbers 14, 21, he is working toward an earth filled with his glory. John Piper said that we starve for the glory of God. Not self. We have plenty of self, but we starve for his glory. That is the reason we go to places like the Grand Canyon. Yes, I'll stop talking about it one day. But still, that's the reason we go to those places. Not to see more of ourselves, but to see more of the glory of God. We starve for it. And we are marching toward a moment where one day when God will return and all of those believers, all of us, will gather around the throne and there'll be no more of this leftover or this broken promises or any of these undesirables that we can offer God. That's not going to happen. It will be an earth that is filled with pure, unadulterated worship of the great king of heaven. And that's the reason, as I close, that's the reason Piper says, all of history is moving toward one great goal. The white hot worship of God and his son among all the peoples of the earth. Missions is not the goal. It is the means. And for that reason, it is the second greatest human activity in the world. Missions is important. 
But missions leads us to that point of giving our best so that we can proclaim that He is the best to all nations. So that one day, people from every tongue, every tribe, people from every ethnic group, people from the nations themselves will proclaim Him as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Folks, that's what we're moving to. And we have this moment in history to make a difference for His glory. I ask you again, are you giving Him the leftovers of your life, of your mind, of your time? Are you giving Him whatever scraps that you can find? Or are you giving Him the best? Because, friends, He is the best. And He loved you so much, and He loved me so much, that He truly demonstrated His best by giving us Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the only sufficient sacrifice to die for us on the cross of Calvary. Those of us who are believers... May we rededicate ourselves, recommit ourselves. For those of us in this place that may not be saved, my friend, run to the cross today and accept that great God above. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I praise you for who you are. And God, I pray that right now your spirit would demonstrate its strength and grace. It would be manifest in this congregation. Convict us of where we have failed. And call us, Lord, to greater responsibility and greater blessing. We pray it in Jesus' name.